Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Well, good morning. It is a privilege to be here with you this morning. And it's my honor to provide another installment in this series, Can You Dig It?, where we've been learning groovy truths about God. And I want to tell you about my opening this morning. I was a little different here, I guess, but uh, it was by design. And and the reason for that is that we've got a lot of ground to cover this morning, and we've got to get right to it. But first, I have to provide a disclaimer. The subject matter this morning is a topic that has historically been both mysterious and confusing. So much so that students of the Bible and religious traditions, they often sometimes are missing a piece of the puzzle on this subject. Now, speaking of puzzles, this is a picture of uh, a puzzle. It's hard to see uh, from from there, I think, uh, that my wife has been working on these past several weeks. And my mother, she, she bought this for us, knowing that uh, Annette, my wife, and Tori, our daughter, love to put together puzzles. And this one's a doozy. It's a thousand-piece puzzle, and it's very fitting for this series because it's groovy records. It's hard to see that, but it's, it's like a kind of a collage of different albums that happened during the 60s and 70s. You know, but wouldn't you know it? But it's a thousand-piece puzzle that's missing one single Lone piece. It's kind of hard for you know people in the back to see, but it's it's right there, one little piece. Nine hundred ninety-nine pieces that all fit together, and it's missing one piece. That's aggravating. So aggravating that yesterday I cut open the vacuum cleaner bag looking for it. I didn't find it, so it's still missing. It is aggravating, isn't it, to be missing one piece of the puzzle? And sadly, that's kind of the way it is when you're missing a piece of this vital puzzle this morning. Now, Brad had already let the cat out of the bag and let you know what the subject matter is this morning. It's the Holy Spirit. It's that part of theology that we call pneumatology. It comes from the Greek word pneuma. Now, it, the P is silent in that. It's, it's the word that we get uh, pneumatic and pneumonia from. And uh, pneuma... It means spirit, but it's synonymous with respiration, inspiration, and breath, like breathing in and breathing out. Now, the Hebrew language has a word for this. It's more encompassing. It's called ruach. Now, isn't that groovy to say? Ruach. And that was the word that was used in the passage I opened with this morning. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God, God's Ruach, was hovering over the waters. Now, if you're finding that this biblical vocabulary lesson this morning is groovy, then you're going to love this one. It's Tohu Wabohu. Now, that's groovy to say, Tohu Wabohu. That's kind of fun to say, too. And that's the Hebrew way to describe something that is desolate, chaotic, formless, or a vacuum of sheer nothingness. Now, Genesis 
in our version of the Bible, spoke this morning of that in our passage as formless and empty. Formless and empty. And our English translation of this, it kind of makes it sound poetic, like something out of a painting. It, that in the beginning, there was this giant planet of wild ocean, and hovering over those deep waters is God's Spirit. Wow. Groovy. Surf's up, dude. But what tohu wabohu really means is that this wasn't like a painting. In fact, it was no literal ocean. It was a chaotic mass, if you can think of this, of nothingness and nothing good. But right there at that moment, at the beginning of time, there was the Holy Spirit partaking in creation, organizing and orchestrating the foundations of our world in seamless cooperation with the very voice of God the Father. Now that's groovy, isn't it? And not only do we see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, from, but at the very beginning, making his debut appearance in the second verse of our Bible. Now before I go on, I'm, I've got another disclaimer to give you. And this one's a little bit humorous and unusual. That a guy, me, who grew up as a Pentecostal, would be allowed to preach a sermon on the Holy Spirit in a Baptist church. Now that is groovy. (laughs) And for those of you who aren't church connoisseurs, well, I should let you know, and I'm I'm not meaning to, to be umbrage to anybody here or step on anybody's toes, but... There are differences on this issue of the Holy Spirit between Pentecostals and, well, everyone else um, on this particular issue. And that's an interesting place for me to be standing right now. Because on one hand, you might be thinking, well, is he a traitor? Or is he an intruder? Or both? I'll just have to leave you in suspense. But seriously, though, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. But this is a sticking point between churches today, even in our own corner of the world. And it centers around another biblical Greek word called charismata. It's the word that we get charismatic from. And that, that word means gifts. And there we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit are both vital and necessary to the individual believer in Jesus and to the local church. But, you know, it's the elephant in the room. There is this one particular gift that seems to be the popular one. It's that gift of speaking in other languages, also known as speaking in tongues. So I have to acknowledge that this can be, this subject can be a controversial issue for some people because it's worth pointing out that there's various traditions within Christianity who see the gifts of, you know, that gift of speaking in tongues, in other words, as having ended with the original apostles, the original people who walked with Jesus. And then there are people, i.e. the Pentecostals, who believe that it's still a vital and distinctive part of being a follower of Jesus Christ today. And they have ever since the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles in the early part of the 20th century. There you go, there's your history lesson. But based on that and some other things, there's this wide range of reaction to the subject of the Holy Spirit. Now, on one hand, you have a certain camp, and I'm going to call this the, uh, the semicolon end of the spectrum. Now, you remember the semicolon from, you know, when you were in English class? 
and the teacher was going through all the various punctuation marks that you could use and the proper way to use them. And she gave a warning about the semicolon. And it went something like this. For many people, or many people do not know how to properly use a semicolon. Semicolon. There it is right there. For such people, it would be better if they did not use them at all. And what she said is, you can replace this, if you don't understand this, with this. Many people do not know how to properly use a semicolon, period. For such people, it would be better if they did not use them at all. I had a professor in college who said that that semicolon there, imagine it's like the mouth of a poisonous snake. And that comma part that's dangling there, that's its fang. Stay away from it. And he said, if you don't know what it's for or how to use it, don't. And unfortunately, there's a certain spectrum of people that treat the Holy Spirit that way as well. In fact, that might be one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit is a mystery to them, or they can't get their arms around this issue. Because for them, they, they just figured, well, there's the, the, the Father and the Son and the question mark. Or it, it's almost as if he's been edited out of the family portrait of the Trinity. At the very least, they, they think to themselves, we don't understand it. So we'll just focus on the things that we do understand better. So we'll just keep him locked in the basement. And then we have the other end of the spectrum. And I, I'm not, again, I'm, not, I'm trying to tread lightly here, but I'm going to call this the fidget spinner end of the spectrum. You, you know the fidget spinner? Certainly you've seen a fidget spinner. I see people smiling. All I, I bet somebody out there has one in their pocket or in their purse. They're wildly popular now today. They're just this inexpensive toy. It just spins like this. And, and you know, the thing is, my, my daughter, Tori, she just got back from an exchange trip to, to Germany. And if you thought that they were popular here in the United States, they're even more popular over there in Europe. In fact, here's a picture of Tori and uh, some of her German uh, counterparts, and they're walking around this historic village in Germany, each of them with a fidget spinner in their hands. Amazing. It's the fidget spinner. And this toy, it wasn't really designed as a toy in the first place. It was designed as a way to help students who have trouble concentrating in class be able to occupy their minds somehow subliminally while they're focusing their attention on the teacher. But the problem is, because it spins, everybody wants one. And everybody got one. And they sit in class and they just stare at the spinner, not at the teacher. Well, in the same way, in this end of the spectrum, there are people who view the gifts of the Spirit specifically like they do this fidget spinner. So much so that just like the fidget spinner takes the concentration off of the main uh, content of the class, sometimes we can get caught up in the gifts of the Spirit and take our eyes off of the giver of the gifts, and that's God himself. And I have to point out the irony in that. 
Because as we discovered this morning in the very opening verses of the Bible, the very presence of the Holy Spirit brings order and beauty and unity out of this vast ocean of chaos. So it makes no sense that the God who creates order and beauty would lead his followers into disunity, division, or a mess. Now, as we keep going in this idea of the Holy Spirit, I'll just name the one thing that we, we can agree on and that students of the Bible can agree on, and that is the identity of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Pastor Brad covered this near the beginning of this series when he talked about the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Just as much God as the Father and the Son, endowed with all the same power, authority, and holiness as God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So we can agree, and and we know who he is, that he is part of the Trinity. He's not the holy question mark. He's not the empty space in the family portrait. Actually, he is part of this three-in-one Godhead, the Trinity, that lives inside of the follower of Jesus Christ. (laughs) All of God in us, living inside us. Now that's groovy. But the question that leaves us with is, what does the Holy Spirit do? I mean, if he's living inside of us, what's he doing there? What's he doing while he's inside of us? And really, that is the subject that creates this confusion and sometimes disagreement. To answer that, we're going to take a look at an example from our Bibles, and it's going to come from one of the very last books of the Old Testament, Zechariah. It's, uh, I believe, the second to last book in the Old Testament, and we're going to be reading from chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. So if you'll join me in your Bibles, uh, Zechariah, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, or if you're on your devices, that's fine too. And while you're getting there, I'll just let you know that there are Many, many references to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. But believe it or not, there are many references to the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament as well. And some of the clearest teachings that we have on how he operates actually come from the Old Testament. So, Zechariah, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Now, this is Zechariah. He's a prophet, and he's speaking. Then the angel who talked with me returned and wakened me. As a man is wakened from his sleep, he asked me, What do you see? I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it, with seven channels to the lights. Also, there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. I asked the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? He answered, Do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. 
Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it. God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Now, to give you uh, some context for what we just read, Zechariah, he's one of the minor prophets. He's speaking to an angel. But we're going to back up and do a minor history lesson. You see, God had established a covenant, a plan with his people, beginning with Abraham, to make them into their own people and a nation that they would bless all other nations. And they were known as the Jews. And for many centuries, they existed as their own sovereign nation under the leadership of their own kings, starting with King Saul and then with King David, and then so on and so on. But then it started to unravel because the Jews, they had this on-again and off-again relationship with God. And as a consequence of that, God allowed the Babylonians to defeat the Jews and take them into captivity as slaves in Babylon. That's modern-day Iraq. But after 70 years, so they took them from Jerusalem all the way over to what's near Baghdad right now, Babylon. But after 70 years, Persia then arose as the big boy on the block, and they defeated the Babylonians. And when they did that, the king of Persia allowed the Jews to return back home. And one of the first to leave was a Jewish leader named Zerubbabel. And he took many of the Jews from modern-day Iraq back to modern-day Israel and to the city of Jerusalem. And one of his main missions was to rebuild the temple of God in the city of Jerusalem. And it was working. Work started on the temple, just as planned. Many gave generously to the building of the temple. They laid the foundation, and they were gaining momentum. And that's when gangs from the area and from a place called Samaria, came and bullied them and harassed them and vandalized what they'd already started. So much so that they ended up stopping the project. And it just stayed there, unfinished, for 15 years. That kind of reminds me of our very own mall here in Walla Walla. And that's when Zechariah received this vision from the angel that the hands that had started the foundation of this temple, Zerubbabel, who who started the project, they would also complete it. You see, Zerubbabel, he went into retirement. He figured, well, there goes my construction management career. But he's saying, no, he needs to come out of retirement because he's going to finish it, even though it sat there for 15 years. But the angel said, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord. You know, when I was a kid, I remember this verse as a song. It was sung by a singing book of hymns called Salty, the singing song book. And he would sing, It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. It's not by might nor by power, saith the Lord. All right, everybody sing along. No, I'm just kidding. Um, 
But back to the book, another prophet named Haggai also spoke of this very same event. And in Haggai two, uh, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he says, But be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Do not fear, for the Holy Spirit is at work. And by His Spirit, the temple was finished. In spite of the obstacles, in spite of the opposition, in spite of the challenges, in spite of the mess. And it wasn't by the hands of superheroes. No Jedi Knights were dispatched to help out with the rebuilding. This was ordinary people coming together, putting one foot in front of the other and rebuilding this temple brick by brick. Because behind the scenes, a new king in Persia came on the scene. His name was Darius, and he levied a tax that helped rebuild the temple. And behind the scenes, we just saw an angel came to speak to a prophet who encouraged the leader to restart the project, saying, you started this, you're going to finish it. And behind the scenes, ordinary people were persuaded to keep on going when the going got tough and to throw in with their checkbooks and to throw in with their back and to throw in with their time. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit created order out of chaos, beauty where there was just ruin. And did you know that that's exactly how he works in the heart of us, the follower of Jesus Christ. He brings order from ruin and chaos. The only difference between back then and now is that it's only gotten better. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, we have 24-7, all the time, access to the Holy Spirit, to God himself living inside us, forever. You see, when you come to faith in in Jesus Christ and you turn to him as the leader of your life and rely on him for salvation, you get the premium package. You get the Holy Spirit living with you, in you, all the time. Literally, God in us. And for your notes this morning, if you're keeping, keeping up with those, here is the big idea. The Holy Spirit is God living in us. He restores us, bringing order from ruin and chaos and creating something beautiful out of our lives. The Holy Spirit is God living in us. He restores us, bringing order from ruin and chaos and creating something beautiful out of our lives. You see, the Holy Spirit, he's in the restoration business. The theological term for this is regeneration. And that's a fancy way to say that he is the producer and the director of extreme home makeover. And the home that he makes over is us. It's you and it's me. So how does he do that exactly? How do we see that show up in our lives? Well, firstly, he gives us power. And this is the next point for your notes. 
These are those things that we call the gifts of the Spirit. And the way to think about this is that he brings us the right words to say. He brings us just that special piece of encouragement that somebody desperately needed to hear. He brings us the courage and boldness to do things that make a difference, even though we're scared or intimidated. He softens our hearts and gives us compassion and generosity. He gives us the knack for and the insight to manage projects and to lead other people. Sometimes he gives us just the fortitude to roll up our sleeves and get busy, often doing things that no one else wants to do or no one else will do. And sometimes he gives us the patience and strength just to endure something that's really, really hard and painful or the faith to hang on when everything seems to be falling apart. With Zerubbabel and his temple, it wasn't Stargate. It wasn't advanced aliens that were the secret ingredient in rebuilding this beautiful temple. It wasn't Superman or Wonder Woman or the Green Lantern. It was ordinary people being empowered by the Holy Spirit, not by might, nor by power, but by the Holy Spirit. You know, I think that we, as humans... We have such an appetite for the extraordinary. We want to see a miracle. We want to see something that defies all laws of nature and physics and logic. Because that's what we think of when we think of might and power. We say, God, do something amazing. Show us a sign. You know, I think we need to recalibrate our definition of miracles. I don't know if this is true or not, but if there were a movie theater in heaven, I'll bet the angels would be a little burned out on what we would call miracles. You can just see it tonight. The future film is God parts the Red Sea. Ah, no thanks. I've seen it. Tomorrow night's a double feature. Watch as Jesus feeds thousands from a box lunch and then sports his running sandals on the Sea of Galilee. Ah, that sounds like a rerun. But what about this? Tonight's feature film, By the Spirit, Zerubbabel restarts and finishes the temple in a city of shambles with nothing but ordinary willing people. Hey, could we go early? I want to get a good seat. Or tomorrow night, watch as through the help of the Spirit... A husband finally comes to faith in Jesus Christ after the years of a wife's faithful prayers. I don't want to miss that. Or how about, with the help of the Spirit, a dad commits to raise his kids to be content and healthy and keep their faith in God even though mom is gone. Standing room only. Or watch as a local church through the moving of the Spirit spills over with hope into its community in small but tangible ways that point people to Jesus. Sold out. You see, my guess is that to the audience of heaven, what we see as ordinary miracles look like blockbuster miracles because they can only be explained by the gentle yet persistent presence of the Holy Spirit. And as followers of Christ, we rely on the power of the Spirit, not only in doing good works, 
but also in creating good works out of us. And that's the next part, the, the way that this shows up, the next part for your notes. He brings order to our lives. Just as there, there was at the beginning of time where he was creating order from waste and wild, from the cosmos, he brings order to the chaos and ruin of our broken souls, the brokenness that results from sin. And he gives us that makeover that we so desperately need. He makes it possible for us to receive salvation through Jesus. And he makes it possible for us not to remain stuck in the swamp of our past or of our sin. Pastor Chris talked about this last week when he talked about sanctification. Subtracting sin from our lives and not being stuck in our old way of doing things, our sin. But we're not alone in that. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to do that. You see, just as he hovered over the cosmic vacuum of time and space, making something new and beautiful out of nothingness, he fills the emptiness that's inside us with wonder, making something new and beautiful out of our lives. He restores our souls, creating order, beauty, for the empty, aching woundedness of our innermost selves. And in doing that, he makes clear to us the truth of God. And that's the next way that this shows up. He makes God's word clear to us. In fact, if what I'm saying to you this morning makes any sense to you at all, that's evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. Because knowing truth about God requires the illumination from the Holy Spirit. He's like a lantern shedding light on what was previously darkness. Likewise, preaching certainly requires the work of the Holy Spirit. The reformer John Calvin said that without the illumination of the Holy Spirit, the Word, and that's the Bible, can do nothing. So if you feel like God is speaking to you, or like He's after you and chasing after you, He is. That's the Holy Spirit making clear to you and to us the truth of God. And did you know that that was what the original Pentecost movement was started from? The original Pentecost, where people spoke in tongues? You see, Pentecost is the Greek way to refer to the festival of weeks. It was a, an observance that the Jews would follow. And people during the time of Jesus, they were scattered all over the world. But they would make a pilgrimage back for this festival. The trouble was they grew up for hundreds of years in other countries, so they, they didn't know Hebrew anymore. They didn't know it very well. They spoke other languages. But by the power of the Holy Spirit on this first Pentecost, the church was formed because the original disciples, the followers of the, who knew Jesus Christ, were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they started speaking in languages that they'd never learned before. But the people that came back for the pilgrimage, it was like a session of the UN. They heard this news report that Jesus had come. He was the one that God sent and had died for their sins so they could be with God forever, and that he rose again. But they heard it in their own language, by the power of the Spirit. Ordinary human beings broke down that language barrier in one fell swoop, making clear the truth of Jesus Christ. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit unites and brings people together from all backgrounds, cultures, and languages and lifestyles, even today. And that's the last way that it shows up for your notes is that 
he unites and connects us to God and to others. He unites and connects us to God and to others. This local church, Trinity Baptist, it's living proof of that. Where else would you find people, often with nothing otherwise in common, doing life together, loving one another, supporting one another, often at great cost and sacrifice? And also, we here at Trinity, we're one church with two languages, but we're preaching the same truth. That's not by accident. That's the Holy Spirit at work. He unites us. And his gifts to us, that's that spiritual piece of the puzzle that we all bring with us. We don't have them all. We're missing them. But when we come together, we put together the giant puzzle. He unites us. And not only does he unite us, but he unites us to God, to Jesus Christ. Irenaeus, he was one of the earliest followers of Jesus Christ after the original apostles. And he said that through the Holy Spirit, we receive the whole Christ with his whole gifts, benefits, and graces. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote extensively in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit, a total of 149 times, he said this in 2 Corinthians three eighteen, And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit unites and seals us with Christ forever. You know, William Paul Young, he, he had his best-selling book, The Shack, and it recently became a feature film Some of you might want to go see it. I'm probably going to give something away here, but the story is about a man named Mac and his unusual spiritual journey after the tragic loss of his daughter. And and this book, this movie, it provides a portrait of the way that the the Trinity operates. Now, the book goes into more detail than the movie on the role of the Holy Spirit. And in it, there's an example of what the Holy Spirit does. And Mac learns that the, the role of the Holy Spirit is creating this beauty and order out of chaos. Because they're walking through this series of vegetation of plants and flowers and bushes and they're, they're just all haphazard and overgrown and there's no rhyme or reason to it at all. It looked like one big mess. But it wasn't. You see, what looked to Mac like just one big jumbled mess was actually a masterpiece from God's viewpoint. Just like a, an amazing tapestry. Just a mess from the underside. Just a ball of string and wire and thread. On the other is this divine work of art. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us and through us. He's making order and beauty where there was just chaos and ruin. And so if the Holy Spirit is God living in in us, the follower of Jesus Christ, and he brings this order from chaos, creating something beautiful out of our lives, then how do we respond to that? What do we do with that exactly? Well, first of all, we need to trust him. But more importantly, we need to cooperate with him. We need to cooperate with him. But we also need to acknowledge him. He's always there. But so often we take him for granted and we neglect his presence. We... Welcome 
in the basement. Don't lock him in the basement of your heart. For that matter, it's perfectly okay and it's all right to talk to him, to pray to the Holy Spirit. You can pray for his insight and for his help and for his power. And you can also thank him for the work that he's doing inside us. And probably it would be a good prayer to, to ask him to help you stay out of his way in doing what he wants to do in you and through you. Lord, Holy Spirit, help me not get in your way. But that raises a popular question. And I'm going to handle that as kind of your bonus material for the day. How do we know when it's the Holy Spirit at work? Well, here's a practical way to answer that question if it surfaces in your mind. Now, for your notes, when it comes to our decisions, our actions, and our behaviors, there's that little diagram. We need to ask ourselves these three questions. Is it productive? Does it agree with the Bible? And does it make Jesus Christ the hero? And if the answer to all of those is yes, then that's the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what that looks like. Is it productive? Okay, you've got to ask yourself, is it productive? That means not negative, not bullying, not putting others down. It doesn't insult. It doesn't manipulate. It doesn't paralyze. It doesn't work against other people. It builds them up. It encourages them. It soothes. It refreshes. It makes something more effective or efficient. It motivates, or it excites, it enhances, it multiplies, it brings beauty. The Holy Spirit's not going to tell you to go out and hurt someone, including yourself. He's not going to lead you to go and betray your, your husband or your wife. He, he's not going to, to, to tell you to do something that's a half-hearted job or to let other people down. Remember, He brings order and beauty. He is productive. Now, does it agree with the Bible? Does it sound like love for God and love for people? Does it align with God's blueprint and recipe for life and living? The Holy Spirit's not going to ever tell you to do something that the Bible tells you not to do. You see, it's not going to tell you to go and commit a crime or speak badly about other people. The Holy Spirit's never going to contradict himself, and that means he's not going to contradict or go against his own word. And most importantly, does it make Jesus the hero? Does it make a big deal out of the good news that Jesus came for us, died for us, so that we might be forever reunited with God and that he is alive today? My dad was a Pentecostal pastor. I told you I grew up as a a Pentecostal. He was a Pentecostal pastor. And he gave a piece of advice that I think would be great for anybody, no matter what camp they're in. And he said, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, if you want his power, his presence, and his blessing, then focus your attention completely and totally on the cross of Jesus Christ. Seek to know Jesus. Follow him. And everything else will fall right into place. The Holy Spirit is God in us. And just as the Holy Spirit enabled Zerubbabel to lead the Jews in rebuilding the temple that would become the home of God's Spirit on earth, He does the same thing in us. Through the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we're dramatically and beautifully restored to be the home, to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God living in us. Not by might, 
nor by power, but by my spirit, God in us. Can you dig it? Let's pray. Dear God, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We love you and we thank you for the work that you are doing in us and through us. And Lord, we acknowledge your presence. It's vital and necessary to our health as followers of Jesus. Help us to acknowledge your presence, not to lock you in the basement, but to cooperate with you in the work that you want to do in us and through us. We thank you for your ministry to us. Help us not get in your way and to enhance what you're wanting to do in us. In your precious name, Jesus Christ, amen.